Okay. So, I uh, just want to uh, mention that um, this week I'm not going to be able, for technical reasons, to do the regular um, Kabbalah class built on the Mimer. So I'm going to be sending this out in its place. God willing, by next week, we should be, be back up and running. So um, this class is going to be different than some of the other classes I give just in this platform of the Zoom Parsha class, simply in that normally I would take you through the Parsha piece by piece. However, this week's Torah portion it's not, it, it, it'll take just a couple of minutes to do that because of what Moses is doing. So let me give you the background story. 37 days before Moses passed away, he passed away on the 7th of Adar. And Rosh Chodesh Adar, he starts reviewing the entire Torah. And this is his farewell speech. And this is what makes up the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Devarim. And thus we find something very unique in the very opening of the book. Every time in the first four books, Moses is documenting the Torah as what we call Shlishi Hamidaberes, which literally means in third party. You know that when you write a novel, you always have the choice to do it in first party, second party, or third party. Third party is called omniscient writing because you're writing as a divine creator who can easily go into people's minds, out of people's minds. It's a different type of writing simply for those who, who are into fiction writing, novel writing, or whatever it may be. The first three books are written in that way. However, this last book starts with the words, Elu Hadvarim. I'm sorry, I'm getting here a note. It wasn't Rosh Chodesh Shvat. I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure what you mean by that. But um, it, was, it was Rosh Chodesh Shvat, which was right before... Uh, Zion other 37 days earlier. If I said something differently, then I apologize and thank you for correcting me. So it starts in Rosh Chodesh Shvat and it goes until the seventh of other. That's the last 37 days of his life, and that is the book of Devarim. Now, he starts off the, the, the whole book with the words, Elohadvarim. These are the words which Moses spoke. Now, you never find that in the previous four books. In the previous four books, everything is very clearly defined as, and God spoke to Moses, say to the Jewish people, or, and God commanded Moses to command the Jewish people. This is clearly being written as Moses being the speaker and not merely the megaphone of God, so to speak. They can do it through which God's word comes to the Jewish people. Now, we're going to talk about that a little more in length and what that means and, and, and what that means to us today, primarily. However, I just want to first share, so Moses begins his 37-day sermon 
And would you believe people complain about my five to six minute sermons? But anyway, a 37 day sermon, he begins by saying rebuke. And even when he says this rebuke, he is extremely careful to do it in a way that would not offend the honor of the children of Israel. So he's doing things in, in he, he's, he's not talking directly, but if you read the verse and you read the commentaries on the verse, you'll see he's alluding to different situations. And our sages tell us that Moses took this method of giving his final words as rebuke, he took it from Jacob. Because Jacob didn't rebuke his sons until the last portion in Genesis, which was on his deathbed. And our sages tell us three different reasons of why to do it at that last moment. But that is what Moses is doing. He begins by retelling the story and pointing out the different areas and situations and experiences in which the Jewish people were behaving less than complimentary. And he talks about them leaving Egypt. He talks about him setting up a, a, a judicial system to help him with the burden. He talks about the Jewish people requesting to send spies and him agreeing to send the spies. He talks about how he himself hit the rock and he was punished. And then he talks about the most recent events of conquering the two states, the two kings of the Amorites, and uh, giving the land to the two and a half tribes, the deal he made with them. And he also uses the closing opportunity of our Torah portion to go ahead and emphasize to, the, to Joshua that you are the one that's going to be bringing the Jewish people into the land of Israel to conquer it and to settle it. Do not be afraid. God is with you. That is the Torah portion in a nutshell. Now, what I want to point out is a couple of things. First, I want to point out that this Shabbat has a special name. And the name of this Shabbat is Shabbat Chazon. And the reason it's called Shabbat Chazon is because we read after the reading of the Torah, we read the half Torah, and the half Torah is the opening portion of the book of Isaiah, in which it starts, Chazon Yeshayahu, a vision by Isaiah. Thus, the Shabbos is called in the name of the opening of the Haftorah because it is a very unique and special Haftorah, which is always read on the Shabbat before Tisha B'Av, the day of fasting and mourning the destruction of the Holy Temples 1 and 2. I want to also take this moment to share with you that we also have an amazing teaching of the Holy Bardicheva, Rabbi Yitzchak of Bardichev. And uh, he was a student of the Magad of Mizrich, a, a relative and a, a dear friend and supporter of the founder of Chabad Lubavitch, Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi. And the Bardicheva is known as the defender of the Jewish people. He always spoke in a fashion of defending the Jews towards heaven. I'll just give you one practical example. One time he saw 
how a, a balagola, uh, the old taxi drivers, the wagon drivers, was smearing his wheels while he was praying in talis and tefillin. Now, obviously, that is less than complimentary. And he immediately looked up to God and said, wow, God, look at your precious children. Even when they're smearing their wheels, they're praying. That was his attitude, always giving it a twist. Actually, about Tisha B'Av, when he walked into the shul and saw the people kibitzing around, they used to do things kibitzing on Tisha B'Av, and he turned to God and said, God, you gave them this day of Tisha B'Av, and they're not respecting it. Please take it away from them. Things like that he would keep on doing to turn things around to be a defense for the Jews rather than to allow anything to be held against the Jews in heaven. Now, with this being said, he said about Shabbat Chazon that Shabbat Chazon is called the Shabbat of vision because on the Shabbat before the day of the destruction of the temple, every Jew receives a vision, a spiritual vision of the third temple as it already stands waiting to descend from heaven. And he gives a parable and he says as follows, there was a father who had a son. He bought his son a new suit and the son obviously wasn't mature and he was behaving wildly and he ripped the suit. So the father bought him a second suit and the son again gets into this, you know, uh, games uh, and, and this wild again he comes back and a big hole in the knee of his pants and everything is filthy and this time his father buys a third suit and puts it in the closet and every once in a while he shows his son your suit your third suit is here and ready for you as soon as you're ready to choose to behave maturely with it and thus he says god gave us the first temple we were wild and we lost it God gave us the second temple. Again, we misbehaved and we ruined it. And then God prepared the third holy temple. And once a year on Shabbat Chazon, he shows it to us in order that we should know. It's there. It's ready. It's ours as soon as we choose to behave in a fashion deserving of it. Now, I just want to go on to say and we're going to talk about this later as I tie it all up. But I just want to say that seemingly, what is the use of this type of story, this type of parable? Being that, yes, the Bardichaba actually saw it. Yes, the great Sadiqim, the Rebbes, they actually saw the vision. But you and I have not seen the vision. And thus, of what help? Is it to us that God is showing us what we do not see? Our conscious mind cannot see it. And thus, I want to take you to the famous story on the, in the Talmud, on the verse in Daniel's, where it says, he saw and they trembled. And the Talmud questions, if he saw and they didn't see, why did they tremble? And the Talmud gives us the fa famous answer, even though they didn't see it, their mazal saw it. In Hasidus, mazal refers to the two higher levels of the soul, which from above drip. The word mazal doesn't just mean um, luck. It also is translated in the teachings as nozel, 
to drip. From there, it drips down. So even though they did not know why they trembled, the answer is because their subconscious levels, the higher levels of their soul saw it drip into them and they trembled. And so the previous Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch, explains that which our sages say, that every single day a heavenly voice goes out of Mount Sinai bemoaning those who don't study Torah. And the question is, why is it going out if no one hears it? And he explains this answer, that our highest levels of our souls hear it, and it drips down to us. Now, I want to share with you this on a practical level, because as some of you know, I sometimes don't exactly do well with the kumbaya approach of these teachings. So we need to make it Chabad style, practical. I can share with you, there are times while I'm driving on the 95, which usually isn't the most sane experience for me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I find a sudden warmth and spiritual yearning for God, for my people, for the land of Israel, for Torah. Now, where does that come from? I was just listening to 6.10 a.m. on the news channel, and you can be sure that that is the furthest thing from spirituality. And on top of that, I'm, I'm busy in my head trying to plan the next meeting. What do I have to say? Where am I coming from? Where am I going to? What do I have to do? How do I text and drive without having an accident? And boom, I have the spiritual moment. And by the way, this is being recorded, so I want to clearly say do not text and drive. I, I don't want to make light of it. But that being said, according to the previous Rebbe, what's happening is that my soul just heard a voice go forth from Mount Sinai. And by some great grace and gift of God, undeserving because I was not in that headspace, it dripped down to my conscious. And thus I have a certain love, a certain yearning, a certain feeling of oneness with all of humanity and all of God's creations, simply because. There was a revelation of God and God's oneness to the essence of my soul, which managed somehow to drip down to me. Thus, the teaching of the Bardicheva is practical. No, you and I are not going to see the holy temple on a conscious level. But if there's going to be a moment, God willing, on Shabbat, where Mashiach becomes just a little more real and having the third holy temple becomes just more real. World peace becomes something we can truly believe in. You should know that your soul just saw a vision of the third temple and it's dripping down to you. And on that I say, capture the moment and we capture the moment by turning feelings into actions, study something, reach out to someone, obviously on Shabbat in the ways that you're allowed to on Shabbat. That's how we make this vision real to us. Now, with this being said, I want to go back to the book of Devarim. It seems to be, according to the teachings, 
that the book of Devarim is a huge descent from the first four books of the Torah. So much so that in Kabbalah and Hasidus, it is referred to as the connecting piece between the first four books and the future books of prophets and scriptures. How so? Because our sages tell us concerning the first four books, anything that was said verse by verse was as God speaking through Moses' voice box. It was not Moses speaking. So much so that our sages tell us due to an incident that happened when he was but a young child sitting on Pharaoh's lap, he ended up with a speech impediment. The only time Moses spoke without a speech impediment was when God was talking through his voice box and thus the Jewish people knew a physical sign that this is God talking through Moses' voice box. I want to share with you so much so this concept of Moses speaking through a, a, I'm sorry, God speaking through Moses' voice box. I want to share with you a story that was told over by the Rebbe, and it's very interesting. The third Lubavitcher Rebbe, also by the name of Menachem Mendel, they called it Tzemach Tzedek for the book that he wrote and authored in the name of Tzemach Tzedek. He, after he delivered a mimer, he actually told his son, go to that and that chassid, a renowned scholar, elderly chassid, and ask him how he understood this concept that I explained in the mimer. So the, the, the youngest son of the Tzemach Tzedek, who would later become the next Rebbe, his name was Rabbi Shmuel. He went to this chassid, and, and I knew the name of the chassid because I read the story, but I don't remember presently the name. And he asked him, without telling him that the, my father sent me, he said, tell me, how did you understand this piece of the mimer? So the chassid went on to explain to him how he understood what the Rebbe was saying. Rabbi Shmuel goes back to his father and tells the Tzemach Tzedek, this is how he explained it. So the Tzemach Tzedek told him he's wrong. This is what I really meant. Now the Rebbe Marash wants to tell the Chosid the real pshat. So now he goes over to him and he tells him, by the way, I want you to know, I didn't want to tell you before. It wasn't me asking, it was my father asking. And when I came back and told him how you understood it, he told me that that's not the right um, interpretation. And this is what he told me, and I want to share it with you. The Chassid, now remember, Chassidim have infinite, infinite humility to their Rebbe. And listen to what the Chassid said. He said, listen, when your father had his eyes closed and everyone was standing and he was saying that mimer in that special sing-song fashion, God was talking through his voice box. After that, when he gives an explanation, that's his human, albeit a Rebbe, but that's his human understanding of what God spoke through him. So there, I can humbly say that I also have another pshat. And the Rebbe validated this chassid for what he said. In other words, when Moses was speaking in the name of God, he would then sit down and study over what he said. 
because now he has to understand the divine voice that was speaking through him. I want to share with you one more story that I heard directly from the person involved. Rabbi Yoel Khan was one of the people, he should live and be well, who used to document, he used to put in writing after Shabbat what the Rebbe said on Shabbat. And that's how we have written down and we study what the Rebbe said in all those years. One time, it was a weekday for Brengen, and he, he, he asked the secretary, Rabbi Chaduk of a blessed memory, to ask the Rebbe for permission to record just for the sake of documentation, and then they'll destroy the tapes. And Rabbi Chaduk went to the Rebbe, he came back, he said, the Rebbe is in agreement for it. But remember your commitment, you're then going to give the tapes to be destroyed. It happened to be that after that Fabrengen, Rabbi Yoyo Khan told us that they had huge questions. They didn't understand what the Rebbe was saying. There was something there unprecedented and they were struggling with understanding the nuances of what the Rebbe was implementing here. So they wrote their questions into the Rebbe. Now I want to share with you a story. Rabbi Yoel Khan, after the recording, he, he went and he told Rabbi Chadakov, I know I told you I'd destroy it, but I cannot physically destroy a teaching of the Rebbe that's recorded. So I'm asking if we can instead give it to the Rebbe to have in his library. Rabbi Chadakov went to the Rebbe and he came back to Rabbi Yoel Khan and he said, listen, I didn't ask in your name because you had no right to ask that because you made a commitment. I asked it in my name and the Rebbe allowed it. So give the tape, it'll go into the library. When they started asking the Rebbe these questions, the Rebbe said, bring me the tape. When Rabbi Yoel Khan found out that the Rebbe is going to listen to a tape of he himself saying a mimer, he hid by the window to see exactly how that's going to look. The Rebbe's window used to be open, um, and later years it, it shut because people used to take pictures. But in those early years, it was open. And he actually physically described to us exactly how the Rebbe was sitting, the mimer was playing, and it was like obviously those, that old tape, reel to reel. The Rebbe, he said, was sitting like this with his mouth slightly open in a deep concentration. After the Rebbe heard the tape, by the way, the Rebbe said, I had to hear the tape because I couldn't understand their questions. Now that I heard what they heard, I understand their questions, and the Rebbe went on to answer them. And he was explaining to us what it means when a Rebbe who delivered God speaking through his voice box later sits down to study that. I actually know I'm getting carried away with stories here. I wanted to tell you one more story wondered in my morim that the Rebbe said on Passover in 1954. They edited, they, they prepared it for editing and gave it into the Rebbe, and the Rebbe edited it. When the Rebbe gave it out, the Rebbe later told Rabbi Grona, his secretary, he picked up the mimer and he said, how is it possible to understand this? The Rebbe was saying that he's struggling in understanding what he was saying. So I just want to be clear with you that the first four books, when we talk about God speaking through the voice box of Moses, Moses was nothing more than a mechanical megaphone who would later have to try to understand what just went through him.
When it comes to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is giving prophecy, which is not like God talking through his voice box. And Maimonides explains clearly what prophecy is, and he explains clearly what the difference between the prophecy of Moses is and the prophecy of the future prophets. And he explains it as such. Moses was able to stand without being asleep, without going in convulsions, and he heard exactly what was being said, and that's why he would later go ahead and prophesy in the word zet. This is what God said. No other prophet did that. Every other prophet would prophesy with the word ko'amar, so has said. And the reason is because every other prophet besides Moses could only receive prophecy in a state of sleep. Their body would go into a state of convulsions. They would see a metaphor and they would understand the meaning of the metaphor. And Maimonides talks about how different prophets experience that differently. And that's what they would give over. That is why I shared with you that what's happening here is that Moses is experiencing over here a descent in the fifth book. And nevertheless, that descent is greater than future prophets. Thus, it's a connecting book between the two. I want to take it a step further. Another thing is that after the prophets, I mean, I'm just going loosely, after the prophets would go sages. Rabbi Akiva wasn't a prophet. Rabbi Akiva was a sage. Now, on this level, we're having even a greater descent because nothing is coming from a prophetic word of God. Rather, it's coming with the human mind, struggling and working out the understanding of the word of the Torah through 13 principles that God told us how to extrapolate from the Torah. And thus in the Talmud, unlike with any other prophet, they would ask the sages, Mehechem, from where did you take this? Show me how this works back to the verse. There is no more prophecy. And not only there is no more prophecy, but in the teachings of the sages, there's a rule that Torah loba shamayimhi. Torah cannot come from heaven. It has to come from the human mind following the rules, having a majority rule. Thus, we have the famous story of an oven where even when there was a heavenly voice that said so-and-so is right, they answered the heavenly voice. We cannot listen to you. He is one. We are many. We disagree with him. And thus, we're going to have to give the ruling against the heavenly voice. Now, what seems to be happening here is that the further we're getting from Mount Sinai, the less divinity and more humanity is getting involved in our connection to the Torah. And this begins with this week's Torah portion. Elah Hadvarim, these are the words which Moses spoke, not God speaking through him. And thus the question here, by the way, Parenthetically speaking, what I'm telling you is halakhically true, which is why 
one, one segment of generations cannot argue with a previous segment of generations. In other words, the sages of the Talmud, known as the Amarayim, cannot argue with the sages of the mission known as the Tanaim, and so forth and so on. As close as you get to, to the Mount Sinai, you can't, the latter can't argue with the previous. Now, with this being said, the question is why? What's going on here in the descent? What's the, what's the deeper secret here? And the answer is as follows. The journey of the Torah is the journey of going from above to below. And therefore, our sages say the Torah is compared to water. And the nature of water is to continuously descend, descend, descend until it hits the bedrock and it cannot descend anymore. What's happening here is that in God's creating the world, why did God create through so many contractions to the level where we can have physical human beings being atheists? God is everything and everything is God. Everything comes from God. The mystical formula of an atheist is a piece of God telling God that God doesn't exist. And yet, there is the possibility of this. Because God has contracted himself and hid itself so deeply where I now can actually have the arrogance. It all starts with survival instincts, turns into self-centeredness, turns into ego, turns into narcissism. It comes to a point where Pharaoh said to Moses, it is my forest, meaning the world, and I made myself. There is no God. Now, the reason why God did this is for one simple reason. Here is a very important Kabbalistic rule to remember. That which comes from above is perfect. However, that which comes from below is precious. And I want to give you a parable that I read that the Rebbe told someone and that person documented it. There is a picture and there is a painting. A picture will be perfect. A painting will never be as perfect as a picture. And yet the picture will cost $2.25 and the painting, pending who it is, could be priceless. Why? Because in art, we're not looking for perfection in the replica, as much as we're looking at the deepest preciousness in the human replica in the picture. Now let's take it to spirituality. God does not want to consistently have to talk to us, which is an imposition of God's revelation upon the human mind. As I shared with you, that the prophets would go into convulsions. The whole purpose of giving us the Torah is not that we should shatter our brains by revelations from above, but rather that our egocentric, limited mind 
should be able to work itself out, rewire it itself, to be able to think on a theocentric level, where the mind from the inside out cries out to God, I want you and I want your Torah. And thus, while Devarim is a step down in the divinity revelation, it's a step up in the purpose and desire of God and in its being precious. This is the process that we're now experiencing. And yes, of course, we bemoan. Why? we rather have less human, more God. But God is saying, i rather have less of my imposition and more of your digging, finding, and aligning. Thus, we have a whole different perspective to what is really going on here. And now I want to connect this with this time of the year and the vision of Isaiah. Us going into exile was a, a, a quantum descent. The magnitude of that descent is, is unfathomable. And yet the Talmud tells us something amazing. The Talmud tells us that God sent us into exile to gather converts. And Rabbi Isaac Luria tells us that the converts here is not just humans. It's also objects. Literally, by putting a mezuzah on my apartment in North Miami, I have converted the physicality of this house into being a spiritual Jewish home for God and for fellow Jews. Now, this process is exactly like going from the first four books to the fifth book to the prophets to the scriptures, to the sages, to the next generation of sages, to the you and I struggling on understanding what is God really saying here with this pasuk, with this teaching. And thus I want to finally bring it to the vision of Isaiah. It is wonderful to be of a spiritual level where this Shabbat, you will consciously see the Besamigdash before you. That is beautiful. That is perfect. What is precious is for you and me to know with certainty that the essence of our soul is going to see the Besamigdash. And now you and I are going to wait from when we light the candles this Friday night until Havdalah, searching, oh, is this the feeling? Oh, oh, am I having a yearning? Am I having something abnormal spiritual? Let me grab it and let me work it. That is precious. That is what it's all about. That's what Hashem wants from us, this Hashabbos Chazoin our barely feeling any divine revelation, but whatever we have, we grab it and we run with it 
to truly think about Israel, Yerushalayim, the Beis Hamikdash, the complete 613 mitzvahs, having Mashiach with us, having the resurrection, having all the tzaddikim, having world peace, running with that because of barely an emotion of an emotion of a yearning which dripped down. That, my dear friends, is God's preciousness of Shabbat Chazon. And that's what we're meant to do. Thus we can bemoan, God, why are you making more room for me when I want nothing than to make more room for you? And God answers you, I am making room for you because I want you to find me in you. Sit and learn. Sit and pray. Sit and do. And you will find me in you. And that's what it's all about. People, I'm going to open up now and unmute. I'm going to stop the recording.